Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tonight on Piers Morgan on Sunday, Gary Lineker says he has no regrets as he demands, as the demands for him to be fired reach fever pitch. I think he has a right to his opinion, and I'll take on a politician, a sports journalist, and a BBC veteran who all vehemently disagree. Lineker says the government's migrant rhetoric sounds like Germany in the 30s. So is their language racist, or was his? We'll debate. Plus, Harry and Meghan may have given the impression they want nothing to do with the privileged and racist institution of the prison camp monarchy. But clearly there's been a mistake because they've just given royal titles to their children. Live from London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Gary Lineker and Jeremy Clarkson play for very different teams. One is a woke warrior who talks about football. The other is a curmudgeonly culture warrior who talks well, mainly about cars and farms. One of them invites me to dinner. The other one punches me in the face. Here we go again. New season, new titles, new managers, new signings. But apart from that, nothing much has really changed. Mmm. F*** off, George Clooney. So, yes, Clarkson and Lineker could hardly be more different. What unites them is they've both been the victims of witch hunts in recent months for upsetting supporters on the other side. Jeremy Clarkson made a crass, ham-fisted joke about his legitimate loathing for Meghan Markle. A tyrannical mob brandished snitch forks and demanded that Amazon and ITV sever their ties with him. Maybe they'll get their wish. Gary Lineker made pretty exaggerated comparisons between the government's migrant policy and Nazi Germany. A tyrannical mob descended to demand he get fired by the BBC and they may yet get their wish. Now, many of the people in the anti-Clarkson mob are the very same people now defending Lineker. Many of the people in the anti-Lineker mob were among the loudest defenders of Clarkson. In this game of two halves, both sides are wrong. Lineker's standing by his right to an opinion and today he faced down another mob, one of the press variety camped outside his home. Yes. Anything about the tweet, Gary? Sorry, what about it? sending the tweet at all? No. Do you stand by what oh. you said? Sorry? Do you stand by what you said in your tweet? Of course. Right. Thank you. Well, good for him. Lineker's not a guy to bow to a howling mob. When you've been abused by 100,000 Real Madrid fans at the Bernabeu, Twitter probably isn't that intimidating. But the BBC's bureaucracy may be a tougher opponent. It has a special knack for tying itself in knots, operating with the logic and efficiency of the Politburo. The BBC's new chairman, for example, Richard Sharp, donated £400,000 to the Conservative Party and was recently revealed to have helped facilitate an £800,000 loan for Boris Johnson shortly before somebody called Boris Johnson appointed him as BBC chairman. There have been no consequences. But it barracked Emily Maitlis for skewering Dominic Cummings for breaking his own lockdown laws and driving 30 miles to test his eyesight. The BBC is a taxpayer funded by decree and BBC News must be consummately impartial. I get that. But Lineker's not a news journalist. He's not even a BBC employee. Nothing in his contract says that he's not allowed to comment about news. He's a sports presenter. 
comments he makes on his own Twitter account are not funded by the licence fee. He's not a spokesman for the BBC, certainly not their news division, and he didn't make those comments on a BBC programme. You might disagree with him. That's your right. I disagree with some of what he said. You might even decide that you're so furious about his opinions you don't want to watch Match of the Day anymore. That's your right too. But to shame him, vilify him and demand his head on a platter because he shared an honestly held opinion is surely wrong. Free speech means hearing the opinions you dislike as much as the ones you support. Well, joining me now is the former BBC Royal Correspondent Michael Cole, Talk TV presenter Richard Tice and BBC broadcaster and Sunday Times columnist Matthew Said, all of whom are shared by one thing. They all completely disagree with me. So this is a unique <laughs> playing field where it's basically me up against a team who's going to try and take me down. And I'm going to be curious as to which one of them might be able to persuade me. Michael Cole, let me start with you. You're a BBC man to your bootstraps. You worked there several decades. 20 years. Right. I so what do, you, what, what do you think of this, from a BBC perspective? I think that he has to be severely reprimanded and I think the BBC needs to seriously review his contract. Why? Uh, because he is the face of the BBC in a very real way, in exactly the same way that when we were growing up, Richard Dimbleby was, also a no, freelance... No, I'm sorry, no. You... Dimbleby was the face of BBC News. He Very was... different thing. He was the... Lineker he... has nothing to do with the news division. BBC... He's not even a BBC employee. No, no. Richard Dimbleby was. He was, in fact, the... Panorama was current affairs. It wasn't news. Well, news the... and current affairs. Yes, but the, they po go hand the in point hand. is this. BBC Sport is not Speaker's Corner. We're not waiting for a programme called Rant of the Day or they Polemic of the Day. They literally, every Saturday night, a match of the day, rant and express strongly held opinions. It's literally the speaker's on corner, sport. match of the day on, on sport. sport. Yes. On sport. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is that when you have the responsibility of that position, getting £1.35 million of the, the licence payers' money every year... Actually cheap you, for what he does. Well, maybe <laughs> that... <laughs> I think so. Cheap? <laughs> well, only because in the marketplace, if Gary Lineker was available to anybody, well, he, will he would earn a lot more money. And he actually earns more money pro rata for other companies than he does for the BBC. Well, indeed, he works for them then, and I'm quite sure he would have no difficulty at all finding other employment. We shouldn't and begrudge would him the money. The, he would have the pleasure of being a martyr, and I'm quite sure... He's one of the best sports that. presenters uh, in the world. He shouldn't be look, begrudged for the I money he earns. Tim Davey is the fairly new Director-General mm. of the BBC, and he said very clearly at the outset that he wanted to instill and insist upon impartiality. Impartiality is the BBC's unique calling card. So that I, is what's running trust around the world. Just I get it. So, so can a sports presenter and a face of sport like Gary Lineker express a political opinion? Yes, if he wants to stand for Parliament or go to... But he can't, do it. he can't no. do it as a BBC presenter. No, he can't. So when because... Gary... OK, yeah. so here's my follow-up. When Gary Lineker launched this year's World Cup, last year's World Cup in Qatar... Wrong too. ..he did a two-minute monologue... Yes. ..attacking the human rights record of the host nation Qatar. He was told to do that by BBC management. So BBC management decided then that Gary Lineker could be overtly political in I, his opinions... I think they ..on were... the BBC. 
They were on the BBC. At their request. Hang on, that's the, that's I'm coming to you. <laughs> on the BBC, Michael Cole. Yes, yes, right. They were covering their backs because there'd been so much about it in the paper. They so couldn't... how could they have the brass neck to well, turn round, having ordered him to do that and express <laughs> a political opinion on their main show of the year, the World Cup launch show? How can they do that and then turn around and say you can't express political opinion? That's a matter for BBC Sport. When you're when you're watching a sports personality, you do not expect a. Uh, uh, political opinions. Now, Lord Lord Grade, Michael Grade, who was 80 yesterday, by the way, he was... Oh, a great said, man. Happy birthday. When he, when he was head of Channel 4, he said the BBC is there to keep the rest of us straight. Yeah. In other words, to set the standard. And that standard means impartiality on all the important matters. And that's... It's a unique calling... Lineker's not even that impartial is, about football. Well, He's, he we just saw him in his underpants having made a bet on BBC about Leicester winning the Premier League. He's that's not what he's paid at all. to do. Though. The, the bottom line is... So, come on, then. You're the right. politician. Yes, look, the bottom and line... And, by the way, you profess to be the great standard-bearer of free speech. And I'm not denying him his right to his free speech. But you want him fired? Where it conflicts... Do you want him fired? Where it conflicts, Piers, is he's in breach of the BBC code of conduct. He's not. He is. He's absolutely... He's I've got it here. No? It's unusual for you not to know this. I know the code of conduct. He, right. He is in breach. He's not allowed, according to this... Mm -hmm in any circumstances, whether in journalism or finance, anything you post on social media from a personal or a BBC account. He's in breach of that. No. He's in breach no, of the editorial that applies guidelines. To news. No, no. And this is, Hang this on. is an impartial Hang on. state That broadcast. applies to news and current affairs no, it journalism. Doesn't. It applies to It's everything. not in his contract. No. It, I can tell you, for, I spoke to Gary this morning, it is not in his contract, which may explain why the BBC has been incapable so far of, of doing any disciplinary action. He, he is one of the... He is a freelance of, contractor. That's irrelevant. There's nothing in his he, contract he is, about he, his tweets. He represents the BBC. Everybody knows him as the, one of the great faces of the BBC. Yeah. And, yes, he can have free speech. You can't do that at the BBC. Why not? That's the difference. Why can't you? Because that's... That's that, what he's It's a taxpayer for. state Actually, broadcaster hang on. who to be lives clear, impartiality To be clear, pits. he's not in breach of his contract. He is in breach I'm of telling BBC you, guidelines. I'm telling you for 100% 100 fact... He is not in breach of anything in his contract. He's in breach of their nothing code of in conduct, his contract, and he represents no, the BBC. Nothing in Gary's contract. Piers, nothing you, in his contract you, you says he's in right breach. There, and I think you are right there because you wouldn't be saying it so yeah. definitely as you are. But it's a question of taste and context and good judgment. This was an outrageous thing to say. It was out of well, no, all, okay. it was out let of me stop, all Let me stop you there. We're going to have a debate later in the program about the content of what he said which I took exception with. I don't think there's any parallel between 1930s German rhetoric led by Adolf Hitler and the That's Nazis. That's what happens when somebody doesn't know anything about politics. I understand. Expresses I understand, politics. although there have been some leading members of the Jewish community who have said similar things about this rhetoric involving the small boats. So he's not alone. And, in fact, I think he was repeating what something he'd read from a leading light of the Jewish community. So we'll come to that debate a little later. I want to bring in Matthew Sayed. So Matthew Sayed... Let me ask you this. You have presented programmes and podcasts for the BBC, right? Yes? Can we, you that's plead correct. guilty? That's correct. But, okay. but the, so you are a BBC presenter, well, albeit a you're a freelance like Lineker, right? <laughs> yes? Yeah, but the... the well, hang on, I'm just... I'm it's a quick... I'm doing a quick checklist to establish your credentials. So you are... You admit to being someone who has regularly produced and presented BBC programmes and podcasts. Yes? Like many political journalists... Now, hang on, hang uh, on. Matthew Paris you, you don't get to ask David Aronovich... I don't want you dissembling, Mr Said. I want you to answer a simple question with a simple answer. You have presented and produced BBC programmes and podcasts. Yes? 
I present a, a BBC podcast, and I'm, I'm proud of the podcast. And you're a freelance. But if I can you're, draw I, I'm, the distinct... I'm going to ask you the question in a minute. This a is a, a fact-checking fact uh, exercise. Uh, and, and you're a freelance like Linegy, you're not a BBC employee. That's correct. Right. So how is it you're allowed to be spewing all sorts of political opinions all over Twitter? Zahawi is sacked, you said, on 29th of January this year, but the corruption goes wider and deeper. 20th of November 2022, it's been a period of hugely damaging, contradictory economic policy from a single party. Trust, trash, Boris, Sunak, trash, trash, and Brexit keeps shape-shifting. The most damning thing, Tory backbenchers have cheered and waved papers through it. Now, these are, if you're not a Tory, if you're not... Uh, well, if you're, if you're a Tory reading this, you would say that you're an anti-conservative pundit using your Twitter feed to express strongly held opinions about government policies you don't agree with. And so I'm, my question, I, I agree it's been a laborious journey, what is the <laughs> difference between you and Gary Lineker? Why do you feel he should be censored and if he does it again, be fired, which I think is your position, but you, Matthew Saeed, can continue presenting programmes for the BBC and podcasts and spew away about politics with no censorship or being fired? Or are you offering to fire yourself? Live on Piers Morgan Uncensored. May, 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 may I respond? You may now respond. Thank you. So I think <laughs> the fundamental distinction, there are many uh, political journalists who I think are rightly hired by the BBC to bring uh, a trenchant opinion uh, to the airwaves, and we are sold and packaged as people who have strong political opinions. Michael's distinction, I think, was the absolutely critical one. There are certain people who are the voices, the faces of the BBC. Lineker is much more than a sports journalist. We can see this to a certain extent by the fact that his comment on a political policy of the day has become a dominant story. And the thing to bear in mind is that part of his moral authority, his cachet, his cultural kudos is because of the relationship with the BBC, the platform that he has to speak to millions of people, not just on match of the day. When England plays an international competition, he is the person who is speaking and editorialising for 20, sometimes more, million people. And I think people who are paying the licence fee are entitled to expect impartiality from people with that status. Okay. I, sadly... Uh, I'm a minnow. Yeah, but hang on, I think if you don't mind me fact, saying... I think, Piers, if I, may ask, if I may ask you a question... You may. Just to push you on your position. Yeah. I agreed with a very great deal of what you said about free speech. I think there's a great deal of hypocrisy from those who are criticising Lineker now who would be celebrating him if he had praised government policy on asylum. But let me ask you this. Imagine England are playing Germany in the final of the World Cup, three o'clock in the afternoon, and people are looking at Lineker's feed because he is a... BBC freelancer, and half an hour before kickoff, he's not a news journalist, he's not a political journalist, but because of the association with the BBC, he chooses that moment to make a comparison between the government, Labour or Conservative, and the Nazi party. Mm. Are you seriously telling me that the fact that he is a sports journalist enables him to say what he wishes via the BBC platform? Well, my response would be my original question to you. I don't see any ethical distinction other than his fame, which I don't think he should be blamed for because that's because of his success and his legacy is one of the all-time great England strikers. I see no ethical difference between him 
and you. And I, by the way, I like your stuff, as you know. I've told you this before. I like your column, apart from when you're hammering me, right? Um, and I like your I like your tweets when you're not hammering me. So to be clear, I, I have no problem with what you do. I just see no distinction between a freelancer like Lineker and a freelancer like you, both presenting shows for the BBC, him with perhaps more success, which is why he gets more money and fame, which is not his fault. And as a result, you think there's a distinction because it saves you from having to be exposed to the same argument and therefore get censored and maybe fired, so, which seems very convenient. So, so let, let's draw the... Dis but you, you, you have very cleverly not answered the question that I asked you, the, the fundamental Oh, well, let me answer... Uh, OK, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Show, let me answer... When, when actually, when, if I'll I may answer say so. uh, To be fair, I'll answer it. You're right. I've actually written a column in The Sun tonight in which I basically answered this question. My bigger problem with Lineker was nothing to do with the tweets on his personal account, which I don't care about, because I don't really go to Gary Lineker for my political opinions. Uh, I, I did object to his monologue at the start of the Qatar World Cup, because I felt that was the fusion of sport. And we'll play a little clip of it here. Here's a bit of that monologue. Ever since FIFA chose Qatar back in 2010, the smallest nation to have hosted football's greatest competition has faced some big questions. From accusations of corruption in the bidding process to the treatment of migrant workers who built the stadiums where many lost their lives. Homosexuality is illegal here. Women's rights and freedom of expression are in the spotlight. Also, the decision six years ago to switch the World Cup from summer to winter. Against that backdrop, there's a tournament to be played, one that will be watched and enjoyed around the world. Stick to football, say FIFA. Well, we will, for a couple of minutes at least. Now, I had a problem with that because I don't think that was appropriate, and I'll say why. Because there was no such monologue at the Russia World Cup. There will be no such monologue at the start of the one in America, Canada and Mexico. I can bet my life on it. Qatar was singled out for the one and only uh, monologue. Even the China Olympics, when they did that, the BBC, they didn't do any monologue about human rights. And I felt that was wrong. And I said so at the time, and I've said so tonight in my column. So in answer to your point, I would say if it's said on air, I have a problem with it. If it's said on a personal account and he's a sports presenter, I don't have a problem with it. That's where my line is. It, it, even if it was half an hour before... 20 million people are going to tune in to a map. What I'm trying to get you to acknowledge, Piers, is the inextricable link between Lineker's moral authority. I mean, we would not be discussing any other footballer making a claim about politics. I mean, if, if other yeah, players I don't in go the to Gary. World Cup... If I, Peter love, Shilton, I love Gary. Is if it, Peter Shilton or David Platt... So it, yeah, he's, he no, he's brings a, a collateral yeah, Matthew, Matthew. that is conferred by I, the BBC. Yeah, but I don't go to Gary Lineker for moral authority, for goodness sake, any more than he'd come to me for it. We bring in he's, Richard he, Tice. He's the face of the BBC. It's a taxpayer-funded, impartial If it was, uh, Hugh, if it was Hugh Edwards <coughs> who reads the news... It makes no difference at all. They're all difference. in it together. They're not. The, the, no, they are. They're absolutely in it together. The editorial guidelines make that crystal clear. They're all in it together. You're drawing a distinction about his contract. That's irrelevant. He it's represents, not irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. He represents... It's actually... The, it's the reason he's not he, being censored. He represents the BBC. Yeah, but, yeah, but Richard, and, and, and Richard, Richard... Because he represents contract, the BBC, he's got to apply by their code of conduct. Yeah, but a contract... A contract is a contract. 
And I can tell and you... And a code of conduct is, is nothing, a code of conduct. There is nothing in his contract or obligations to the BBC prohibiting him from tweeting. But I bet this it, is why I, the BBC have not punished him. I the bet BBC, his contract says he's got to apply by the code of this conduct. Is, this is about the BBC. I believe passionately in free speech. Nations yeah. shall speak peace unto nations. But all of you want him to no, it's, no, it's about trust. We're talking about the BBC here. Uh, and Gary Lineker, but the BBC first. The BBC was built on trust. It took decades around the world, and it can be lost very, very quickly. Mm. And the most important part of that trust is impartiality. Not neutrality, that's a completely different mm. thing, but being impartial. And if that is undermined by episodes like this, people will just say, well, that's the BBC again spouting off this way or that way. But are you it comfortable... Underli it OK, so are you comfortable with Matthew Saeed, BBC presenter of a number of programmes and podcasts, making political points on Twitter? Yes I'm, or no? I agree. Yes. You I, are? I, I, well, well I, there you go. It's totally bogus. But he's also then. brought it into disrepute. With sorry, oh, sorry. You're I, all, you're all, you're all I ganged up in a conspiracy of hypocrisy. With one, three, one. He's brought, brought the organisation into disrepute. Are you comfortable with Matthew Saeed doing Because he's an experienced commentator. He's not the face of the BBC. And there will be someone on the other side... So it's all about how rich and famous Gary Because they'll have balanced it. There'll be someone on the other side with a podcast with a differing view. Right. With Gary. If somebody steals a pound or 10 million, they're both thieves. It's got nothing to do with the money. It's just a question it's, of scale. It's about... He's also brought the organisation into disrepute. Everybody's talking about it, and that's very bad look. Only in disrepute funded. to those who don't agree with him. Here's no, the no, truth. No, here's the, the truth. Which is, which is here's the, the truth. Richard, Richard, Tyler, Richard Tyler, here's the truth. <laughs> if Gary Lineker came out tomorrow and said, you know what, this small boat's policy is fantastic, send them all back home, you would be straight out there going, knighthood no, for Gary Lineker, no, and I want a statue no, in no, because, Parliament no, Square. Because, completely wrong, because I've got integrity, completely and he's completely wrong, wrong and you're wrong 3-1. I thought, think Lineker's got a lot of integrity. And, and by the way, he's got a lot of balls. He stood by his, stood by his position today. He was wrong but on Gary. You all agree, Lineker has to go, but Matthew Saeed can carry on presenting BBC programmes well, he's and an experience any political views he likes. Someone who does as long as we've all reached a point of consensus, <laughs> I think I've won my argument. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you all very much indeed. Well, we come to more people now who want their royal cake and eat it, trashing the royal family every occasion and then using the titles of prince and princess for their children. We'll be debating more laughable hypocrisy, this time involving Harry and Meghan next. Well, you may recall that Harry and Meghan, the favourite friends of this show, have spent years trashing the royals as a bunch of cruel, privileged racists trapped in a terrible prison of an institution. So imagine our surprise when a spokesperson for the couple confirmed via People magazine that Princess Lilibet Diana had been christened. Why would they use a title for their children that represents an institution they loathe so much? Well, joining me now to discuss all this is author and historian Tessa Dunlop, Royal editor of the Daily Mirror, Russell Myers, and Michael Coles remain with because, of course, he was the BBC's voice of royalty for two decades, as he reminded us. Uh, all right, Russell Myers, I don't get this. No. Because I was sure that they kept telling the world how ghastly the monarchy is. It's a prison camp. All the royals want to get away from it, but they can't because they're trapped in the world of titles and privilege. And now they want to give their kids the titles of prince and princess, even though they don't live anywhere near the royal family, they don't do any duties, they do nothing to deserve it, they live in a mansion in Montecito in California and use the, their own royal titles to make loads of money, which may be the clue to why they want their kids to have them. 
Yeah, I think well, you've, you've pretty much summed it up for a lot of people. They're seeing this hypocrisy being played out. It's like a soap opera, isn't it? That's mm. uh, something out of an EastEnders script. And uh, Harry and Meghan have made an awful lot of money and an awful lot of noise over the last couple of years by say, telling everybody how awful the monarchy is and the monarchy that they left behind. Indeed, Harry and Meghan wanted a half-in, half-out model. The Queen said that they couldn't. And so, yeah, it's very, very surprising that they should, uh, that should, they should want this... Well, you say surprising. I, I would say Tessa Dunlop rank hypocrisy He's, yet again yes, from these two. Russell's so polite. <laughs> First time on the show agreeing with you. You wait. He'll turn the screws in a minute. <laughs> I would like to suggest that Harry and Meghan... It's a bit like criticising the police force. I often criticise the Met Police. My uncle was a commissioner in the Met Police. Doesn't mean that I don't believe in having a police force. You can criticise the monarchy mm. and say, here are the fault lines, and do it clumsily. Well, why, would they want, and... why would they want to inflict on their children mm. royal titles that make them part of the royal family worldwide and expose them to the misery and pain and trauma which Harry tells us he suffers on an hourly basis, normally for large checks, by the way? Because... Isn't it very clear they've left the rigid institution? Yes, so the why do they want the title? Institution. And they're going and they've got monarchy light, Atlantic style. That's what they've done. Why do they, they want the titles? I don't understand. Well, you do understand. You Tell need me to why. It out for you. Well, a couple of reasons. One is, yeah, there's cachet. Oh, the, the, cash. The you pricelessness. Mean. There's cash. Yeah, in the slippery there's cachet world. And cash. Oh, come on. Piers. Because in we all slip- know Harry and Meghan as Harry <laughs> and Meghan would be making a lot less money if they weren't the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, which goes on every statement they ever make. I just want to share something with Michael and Russell, and this is an epiphany I had Mm. today when thinking about peers. I do occasionally Mm. think about you off-screen. I bet you Uh, never start. I've come to the conclusion that although you sit there night after night professing to be a monarchist, you're not deep down. I am. No, because the whole point is, with the system of hereditary monarchy, you can't choose the loons and losers that get born with the right to be oh, princess. No, you can't. No, you can't okay, choose them. Michael no, Cole. you can't. It's Michael all, Cole. It's all very odd. It's pick and mix, isn't it? We want the trappings. Yes, we want the. It's raw cake and eat We it. don't want the duty. We don't want the high hard work. Mm. It's, this is all very very odd because legally they became Archie and Lilibet became prince and princess at the moment Her Majesty the Queen died on yes. the 8th of September and King Charles took over. Because by the latter's patent uh, drawn by King George V in 1917, grandchildren of a reigning monarch become automatically prince and And this is what Meghan Markle was struggling to remember in her Oprah well, Winathon that, that, that when she claimed the only reason Archie hadn't been already made a prince was but, because of his skin colour. Well, it turned out she just didn't understand... OK. How, no, I'm asking Michael, because he okay. knows about these things. Of course. About how the system actually works. Well, there was no racism. No, none at all, and that was actually quite shameful, what was said at that time. Well, let's remember they, what she I, said. I, this no, is what I, she told I, I, I 50 do, million people around I, the world. Watch well, this. I do recall it and regret it. It's worth reminding. The idea of the first member of colour in this family not being titled in the same way that other grandchildren would be. It's not their right to take it away. It was a complete... Hang on, Tessa. It was a complete lie. Appalling ignorance. Appalling ignorance and also used in a very, very nasty way to attack people who couldn't answer back. Yes, and brand them a bunch of racists when they weren't. Racism is is a terrible accusation to mm. make, because it's easy to make. Well, once thrown, it's, it's, it's sticks on people. Impossible yeah. to prove Tessa, you, you're seething. Why? No, I'm not seething. You've just heard a line. I, 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 but I think that the key we need to pick up on there is the word ignorance. Michael, esteemed former BBC journalist, 
80 years he's been walking on this planet, <laughs> absorbing <laughs> ideas of hereditary monarchy in the British Constitution. Megan... You're not 80, I, are you? Yeah. I, on Monday, I was yeah. 80. Are you, are you serious? Yes. I'm sorry. Michael <laughs> Cole, you look unbelievable <laughs> for 80. Really? Uh, yes, I was. Well, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Uh, congratulations <laughs> on being... A, That's almost how like, I knew Lord you know, like Benjamin was, was Butler, former BBC <laughs> correspondent. Uh, OK, Russell, let's bring this back to the thing. The ongoing thing is, are they going to come to the, the coronation? They, through their little lickspittal, Omid Scobie, uh, he said that apparently they invited all the royals to uh, Lilibet's um, christening, but they all declined to come, as if they're all going to get on a plane and fly to California to embrace the people who've been trashing them for the last three years. But it looks like from the, the jungle drums, they have been invited yeah, yeah. to the coronation, right? Yeah. Now, they're holding it out to make it all about them, make it a big drama. So, do you think they're actually going to come? Uh, I do now, yeah. I think because it's their currency, isn't it? They've made an mm. awful lot of money. And, and again, this uh, it's their tax by, by having that association right. with the royal family. It's the cachet and cash. You mentioned sort of, um, the, the, the favoured journalists that mm. they were briefing in the, in the first instance that they weren't going to have titles. And now, there's another screeching U-turn. We already had one of the U-turns mm. about the racism mm. element within yep. the royal family that Prince mm. William was forced to deny. Michael, you want to jump that in? Wasn't I, right. I, I was and, uh, say, and this is another yes, example. I totally agree. I, 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 his Majesty the King has played a blinder in all this because he let it, made it, let it be known from the very outset that they were welcome to come, Meghan and Harry, to the coronation, putting the ball firmly in their court. If they decline, it will make them look small-minded, petty, mean-minded. And if they accept, they will make them look... Open the door to hypocrisy. A, a you know what I'd do? I'd make, but, them sit in the, think, I'd make them sit in the 10th row right behind Prince Andrew. What I so think... when the world's cameras get beamed on them, <laughs> all they see is their little heads peering around Andrew. Because that isn't you... going to happen. I mean, because you... the, the king has spoken about unity and yeah. togetherness. Yeah. So, and I don't think he would be as churlish as to not invite them. You he won't be you as churlish. Well, I actually you think he that. shouldn't have invited them. Why would you invite a couple of ratbags who've been attacking every member but of your family? Because I'm just saying what I would have done. If that was people in my family, I wouldn't want them anywhere you know near the... my coronation, which, by the way, can only be a matter of time. Um, um, but, yeah, but do you make the point there? All you have to do is one of your offspring marry into the royal family and, hey, presto, the Morgans get a little tinge of monarchy. That is how unbelievably mad the system of hereditary monarchy is. We all get fat chewing the fat of this story. But the problem you have, Piers, is you like the system when it works, but you don't like it when it doesn't. No, 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 and no, Harry no, no. is an example no, no, of it no, no, not no. working. No, no, no. You completely yes. misrepresent what I think about the monarchy. If you my, know... mother, my mother camped on the mouth of both Diana yeah. and Fergie's weddings, yeah. right? We grew up... We, had, we ran a country pub in East Sussex. Well, I remember this 1977 Silver Jubilee, the street parties and everything. Else. It was fantastic. So I grew up... As a That's ma- when it's working. Hang on. No, yeah. it wasn't working even then. Right? There's always been <laughs> chaos and carnage in the royal family. You know, when I was a newspaper editor, barely a week went by without some new scandal. That's not the point. The distinction with these two is they have openly attacked the institution of the monarchy. Diana didn't do that. Fergie didn't do that. Oh. They have unloaded on the institution being a prison camp that no-one can escape from. Why, then, would they call their kids prince and princess? I was 10 at the last coronation. You haven't asked me to guess, Piers, but I'm going to guess what will happen. Go on. May the 6th is Archie's birthday. Yeah. I rather fancy that she will stay behind yes, and I have agree. a birthday party in California, mm-hmm. and he will come. Particularly, as three days later, he's due to be the star witness in mm. a very contentious case that's going to be opened mm. 
against Mirror Group newspapers, yeah. and he's going to go into the witness box. Yeah. Well, that is going to come after the Lord yeah. Mayor's show. We know what happens. Mm. After the coronation, yeah. we've got a court case. No, Harry, as we know, is very concerned about privacy. Uh, on, that bombshell, <laughs> on that bombshell, we'll leave it. But, yes, this is going to be an interesting month. Uh, lovely to see you, Michael. To lovely to see you, Tessa. Great to see you. Pleasure. Thank you all very much indeed. Well, coming up next, Gary Lineker accuses politicians of echoing the language of Germany in the 30s, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, about migration. So have their words gone too far or have his? We're going to debate that next. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Well, welcome back. So, away from the argument of whether Gary Lineker should be sacked from the BBC, and by the way, I don't think he's going to be at all, there's been a huge backlash over how he compared the government's rhetoric on migrants to the rhetoric in the 30s in Germany from Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. In his tweet, he suggested the Home Secretary's response to the small boats crisis used, quotes, language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. Well, joining me now to discuss this, writer and commentator Larissa Kennedy and comedian Konstantin Kissin, who moved from UK from Russia when he was 11. And I've still got Richard Tice here, and also uh, Paula Roan Adrian is with me as well. So let me start with you, uh, Larissa, on this. When you read what Gary Lineker said, did you think that was a fair analogy to contrast this government with a regime that was building in the 30s in Germany, which was to go on to slaughter 12 million people. To be absolutely clear, what Gary Lineker said is that 
and I'm paraphrasing here, but the language used to justify what is happening here with this bill, with this proposal from the government, is akin to language that was used in the 1930s in Germany. So I think it's, it's really difficult to begin then talking about policies and actions because that is something entirely different. Because I think what Gary was trying to insinuate is that we need to be cautious of the slippery slope here, which is well documented, which is that language and the dehumanization that language can do uh, is very, very powerful in leading down that slippery slope and wanting well, to well, be it is, it is, on the I, journey that we're right, on. Right, it is, but I would argue, I'll bring Constantine in here. My issue with this is you talk about slippery slope. The moment you get into 1930s Germany, uh, you evoke memory of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis and the Holocaust and 12 million people being, you know, murdered, exterminated in concentration camps, 6 million Jews in concentration camps and so on. I just think that is a slippery slope. And the moment, to me, anyone evokes that in relation to a current government like this Conservative government, you, to me, you're losing the argument. because You're using an extremity of a debate which just bears no relation to reality. Well, right, and I'm not particularly easily offended, so I'm not offended by his comments. But the problem we've got here is not so much that he said something silly or insensitive for me. The problem is it's completely inaccurate. Tens of thousands of people were not trying to get into Germany on small boats. And that is, I'm afraid, the real problem with this whole argument is the people who want to demonize Britain as this racist hellhole can never seem to explain why tens of thousands of people like me want to come to this country and settle here. And some of them do so illegally, even by breaking the law and putting themselves in danger, which is something actually I think we should all be concerned about and should be seeking to end. Yeah, I mean, my, my problem, Larissa, with this, Gary... Gary doesn't have a solution to one of the biggest problems with the small boats at the moment, which is that a third of the people coming in on these small boats are young, perfectly healthy, non-vulnerable Albanian men who are being recruited, they suspect, mainly for gangs already in the UK. They're being brought over by criminal gangs. They're spending thousands of pounds to do it, so they're not short of a few quid. But these aren't the most vulnerable, oppressed people from war-torn countries. They're coming from a perfectly safe country, and they're, they're abusing our system. But I don't see anything in Gary's statement about that reality of the people coming over on these small boats in large numbers. To be really clear, we are often talking about people being trafficked here. And in fact, they're not being trafficked. Rights, they're not by being trafficked. people of their rights. Larissa, I just told you they're so not being trafficked. That there are people being trafficked to the UK. Larissa, so Larissa, you're denying so that there are being people, people no, being on, trafficked. Hang on, hang on. Look, let me, let me okay. repeat the question. And so you know better than Genocide Watch, you know better Larissa, than all let of me the repeat my question, human you're, rights you're, organizations Larissa, that have been documenting this. Let me, let me repeat my question. A third of the 45,000 okay. or so people who came over last year to the UK on small boats were Albanian young men, perfectly healthy, not mm -hmm. vulnerable, not oppressed people from war-torn countries. That's a, that's a fact, a statistical fact. And when I saw that, I found that alarming. That said to me the system was being gained. Now, there are other people who are coming from war-torn countries. In fact, Britain has been leading the way in putting up people from Ukraine, from Afghanistan and other genuine war-torn places. That is a different issue. But what would you do about all these young Albanian men coming in who are not from war-torn countries and just want to come in without doing it legally? 
what would I do? Well, I don't think my first action would be to strip all of those, all three thirds of those groups of their rights illegally by contravening international law. I don't know how the, the question is being reversed rather than the government's actions actually being interrogated because at the moment we are contravening international law. In 1951, we signed up to the Convention on Refugees saying that we would not uh, you know, put extra pressure or um, you know, impose sanctions on those who came via illegal entry. We signed up to that as a country. So it's not for me to now sit here and debate okay, whether or not that's the right thing to say. Uh, and this is the problem, right. isn't this, okay. Piers, so, is I, I this not exactly the problem? Let me ask Constantine, because I, I mean, there, there certainly is going to be a massive legal row about this, but what is your mm. response to that? Well, this is exactly the problem, and, I, and this is nothing personal to Larissa, but the people who, who pretend to care about these people never seem to have a solution to the problem. And the reason is they haven't thought about the issue at all. Now, look at the point you made about people from Albania being uh, smuggled. Let's say that they are being smuggled. Why are they being smuggled into this country? Because we allow them to be, uh, to be coming in here in these small boats, and we don't do anything to prevent it from happening, and we don't do anything to disincentivize these smuggling gangs from doing it. Right. And all we have to do, by the way, is declare Albania a safe country so that no one who comes here from Albania illegally is entitled to asylum. It's not very difficult if you actually care about the issue. And my biggest concern as someone who, like you, uh, is proud of Britain for helping people who are coming from genuine uh, need is that if we continue to make the British public feel like they're being taken for a ride, and of course they're right to feel that way when we spend seven million pounds a day accommodating these people, if we continue down that path, then eventually people are gonna get fed up and say, we don't want anyone coming in. We don't care about the circumstances. And then the very people that these woke lovies like Gary Lineker pretend to care about are gonna be the ones that suffer in the end. I mean, to be fair to Gary Lineker, everyone shouted, well, if you care so much, take one of them into your house. And he did. He took in a young boy refugee and he did take care of him and he's very proud of him. And so he did actually practice what he preached. Um, thank you both. Good on him, but that's Constantine. not the solution, Piers. No, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I've, in my Sun column tonight, I've, I've said, where is the answer, Gary and Sakir Starmer and others criticising the government? Where is your solution? Because I don't see one. And the problem with allowing so many obvious economic migrants to come in illegally is that you are then taking attention and money and resource away from the people who really need it. And that is what we should be focused on as a country. But Larissa Constantine, thank you both very much indeed. We're going to have a short break coming. We're going to bring in Isabel Oakshaw, familiar to this parish, I think, certainly to you, Richard. Uh, and we're going to pick up on that and also get uh, some reaction to, well, it's called lockdown files. She really is Miss Lockdown Files now. Remember her new name? Isabel Lockdown Files. We'll get a reaction to that. New nickname after the break. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. With me are Richard, uh, Tyus, obviously, talking to the international officer Isabel Ogershaw, and talking to the contributor Paula Ron Agent. So I introduced you there as Miss Lockdown Files. I said I've been called a lot worse this week. Well, you have. I was going to ask you about that. You have been mercilessly trashed by many people in our, in our profession of journalism. A lot of it grotesquely unfair, in my opinion. How do you feel about it? Look, I, I think it's fairly obvious what's going on here. I'm quite a divisive character. I'm a, I was a Brexiteer. I'm still pro-Brexit. I'm with this guy. That, adds that to the alone problem. would be enough, really. <laughs> yeah. It's controversial enough. But it's been um, pretty bruising, I suspect. Yeah, no, I, I've broken a number of really big controversial stories. This isn't my first rodeo. I've no. been through it before. Um, 
No, it's not nice, but the, it, w it should never have been about me. It isn't about me. It's mm. not about Ma Matt Hancock. It's about actually trying to make a difference here. And I think that it's achieved that. How have you felt, Richard, as the other half watching all this? Uh, just appalled, actually, at the way that the industry has behaved because it's about how government completely misled the people. Yeah. They haven't focused on that at all. They focused on the messenger. Mm. And, yeah, it's, it's pretty rough seeing your other half go through that level of abuse, completely unjustified, and uh, what one can do about it. And, um, look, I think a lot of it is jealousy. Uh, a lot of these people have never broken a decent scoop in their lives. Well, let's be quite clear. If any of them had had it themselves, they'd have run every word and lauded you as a journalistic genius. <laughs> and this comes back to my initial point about the Lineker story, is a lot of hypocrisy flies around about all these things. Um, Paula, well, I'll ask you, not about that, I want to ask you just for your reaction to this whole... Linica thing, the yes. boats crisis, the yes. language used. Put it all in context. What's your overview about it? So to answer the question, which was, is the language dangerous? The answer is yes, it is. We know it's dangerous because we've seen the reaction from members of the society. We've, we, we've seen uh, an, a hotel, an immigration hotel that was firebombed. We've seen marches on the streets, etc. We've seen what's happening to stir up. What would you do to stop this surge? And it's a surge. Mm. It's gone from a few thousand a year to, to 45. There may be 65 to 80,000 this year. Yes. What would you do to stop it? Well, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd do the two things that Rishi Sunak is doing. Tomorrow he's going to meet with Macron mm -hmm. and he's going to try and get an agreement that would mimic, essentially, the agreement that we had before Brexit, Richard, the Dublin agreement. It makes no difference at all, Paula. To stop them coming through. It, it, That's it the first no, thing I would there do. There were almost no deportations The second thing the I Dublin would agreement. do is, again, what Rishi Sunak has kind of slipped in in the back door whilst we're focusing yeah. on the boat people and Gary Lineker's tweet, is that I would extend the list of jobs that we need to bring people in. We know we've got 1.2 million jobs that are going at the moment, and Rishi Sunak said today that he was going to open up that list to include construction workers. Yeah, but here's my point. Here's my point to you. I have a view that we should remain a, a humanitarian country at our heart, right? There, what we did with the Ukrainian people, with Afghanistan people and others from, from Hong Kong, for example, what we've done with all these people who've been in real trouble in different situations, mm. we've been very humane and very welcoming. But I agree with those who say that there's something inherently wrong with the system that allows... 15,000 young Albanian men from a safe country to pop up on a dinghy and get access to the country illegally when there are lots of really desperate people trying to get in here from war-torn countries mm. and they're going through a legal route. Mm. I, I just don't think it's right and fair. Uh, and I don't think most people do. And, and, and you're right. I mean, nobody can deny that. But what the problem has become is that we are mixing two very different people. We're mixing people who are migrating for work yeah. and we are mixing people who are seeking asylum. But the ones migrating for work should be doing so in a legal, proper manner. And, and, they're, and they're currently not because it's too easy to get on the boat. Look, I want to change the topic. I want to change to Michael Caine hitting out at claims that the great movie Zulu has provided inspiration for possible terrorists. Uh, the film has started as a key text for white nationalists and supremacists, Richard. He's called it the biggest load of bull bleep he's ever heard. Uh, which I completely concur, not least because my brother uh, was a colonel in the Royal Regiment of Wales, as it was originally known, now the Royal Welsh, and, of course, they got seven Victoria Crosses of the 11 awarded for this extraordinary act of valour by the, uh, the Allied forces, as they were then, against the, uh, the Zulus. An extraordinary <coughs> act of valour 
about invading another person's country. That's, I just want to be clear that that's that's the starting point. Yeah, that's that's true. But the, the right, point okay. is the point. The, the reality of the, the question is it's bordered. Ash. It's got nothing to do with nationalism. It was an extraordinary uh, scene of bravery, of courage, of making the right military decisions at the right time. I've been there. I've been in the building. I've seen it. I've seen what happened the day before at Isandwana when about twelve hundred. British soldiers were killed mm. because their leaders and commanders made the wrong decisions just at the wrong time with catastrophic consequences. So, look, there are lots of lessons to be learned from this, also about invading other people's countries. Because we what, don't hear about don't... that in the film, do, <laughs> but, we? do we, Richard? We don't, but it, we don't hear about that. It's a film that. talking... You know, it, hang on. It's not a... It's a film about what happened on the day. It's yes. not about the rights and wrongs of British colonialism over the last 150 years. But the point is, it's... It's an incredible story of valour, of courage, yeah. and the film represents that. It's one of the great movies of all time. Yeah. I love it to I completely concur. Um, talking I, of I unbelievable stories it, so of... That's obviously what we're talking of unbelievable do. stories of valour and courage. Have you got any more scoops for us from the, <laughs> the lockdown files? Um, I'm working on As it, As you put Pierre. your glamorous head over the parapet to be <laughs> shot at by your rivals. Um, Is I'm... there more to come? I think there's at least another day or so of it. But, look, this is such a huge issue for so many people. The number of letters that I've had, yeah. emails, people stopping me with really but let's be clear, it's been utterly stories. riveting to read, right? It just has. Yeah. I've read it all, just fascinating insight. Yeah. And if they want to commit all their thoughts to WhatsApp yeah. and one of them wants to then pass it to journalists, well, this is what happens. Yeah. You'd be less of a journalist <laughs> if you hadn't done what you'd done. Of course. I'd be like, what's the matter with you? I'm, it's what I'm there for. You know, I've heard Have lot. you had any more, any more conversations with Mr Hancock? Um, no. You have? <laughs> no, have you? no, 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 I haven't. No contact haven't. at all? I haven't, and I'm awaiting his legal letter. Yeah. I mean... There are two, two chances of him suing you. No chance and Bob chance. If there was a Bob chance, <laughs> that joke would have worked. But there isn't one. Uh, anyway, keep, no. keep going. And ignore all the haters. They're just jealous. Thank I've you. I've been there. <laughs> keep your head proudly above the parapet and take it it's all. Up there. Good to see you both. That's it for tonight. You. Uh, whatever you're up to, keep it uncensored. You hear me, BBC? Keep going, Gary. That's it from us. Good night. <laughs>